Hola, hola. Welcome to Hello Latino. It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and today's guest is Cristina Costa. She's a first-gen Brazilian and Guatemalteca and Puerto Rican by association. Cristina is the head of learning and development at Alco, a San Francisco-based startup that provides career coaching for software engineers. And for the last five years, Cristina has served as Chief Marketing Officer of Women with Purpose, an organization that empowers, educates, and advances women of color through professional development seminars, workshops, and networking events. In this episode, y'all, Cristina keeps it so real. From her upbringing in Cambridge and Boston to her beautiful cultures, to college, to her extensive career journey, I know you'll learn so, so much from her. Feliz Putin. Let's talk about this mug, though, because I think it's interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. So, my cafecito mug, Power Season 6. <laughs> <laughs> so this this mug is special to me because it was given to me by my aunt Monique Gabriela Kernan, and she is an actress on Power. Uh, she's actually Detective Rodriguez on Power, and so she invited me last summer to the Power premiere. And listen, I had no idea what to expect. She didn't tell me anything. She just like, okay, just come. It's gonna be at Madison Square Garden. And I was like, am I going to be on the red carpet? Like, what should I wear? Like, what do I need to do? And she didn't tell me anything. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go really cute because I'm assuming I'm going to be on the red carpet. I don't know. Right? So I show up. With a gown and everything. Yeah, I came with a gown, like hair done. I didn't know what to do. I show up and this thing was the most, it was the coolest premiere I think ever because it was a concert. So it it turned out being, it started with G-Unit and 50 Cent, which was like, so so power (laughs) and then it went into then we had trey songs they brought snoop they had um they had fabulous like they had oh my god little mo little mo (laughs) i haven't seen little mo in like 10 years i was lit i was so lit the whole time oh my god yeah yeah. with your little gown i can just imagine it (laughs) and then when she didn't tell me where i was going to be sitting i'm telling she didn't tell me anything so i'm in there Sitting in the VIP, literally like two rows next to me is Angela from the show. Tommy's like right there. Dave East is like sitting behind me, and Lorenz, wow. Lorenz Tate. And I'm just trying to act cool. Like, I'm just, yeah, you're like, <laughs> I was trying to act I'm like, chill. yeah, very <laughs> chill. Um, I kept trying to take selfies to be sneaky and like get celebrities in the back. Like, you know, I was trying to be sneaky, like, you know, I feel like that's low key what I do too. So all <laughs> my like, pictures are me like. I look so good zooming into yeah, Tommy. Look at I was like ghost, ghost. So um, it was really cool. So that's the story behind the mug. That's the story behind my mug. And since then, it's it, it's a really big mug. I don't think you can tell. It holds a lot, so I use it all the time. Hella coffee. Yeah, hella coffee. Well, no, but I I love that story. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm going to remember it forever, yes. but I'm really excited to have you. I'm so happy. Catalina is just introducing me to the most dope, beautiful human. So I'm so excited to talk to you, to hear your story, to hear about your Latinidad. I'm just excited for all of it. <laughs> me too. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. I love having these kind of conversations. Yes. Let's start with my favorite question, and it it's going to set the tone for the entire interview, but... Let's start with how do you identify and why? So I d- identify as Latina. Um, uh, my mother is from Guatemala, immigrant from Guatemala. 
and my father was is from Brazil. Uh, they both met here in Boston um, many, many years ago. And I don't know if you know this, Odalis, but Massachusetts has the largest population of Brazilian immigrants outside of Brazil, like in the U.S. Oh, I don't know I why. I not know that. Because it's freezing. I don't get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's just a huge Brazilian population in Massachusetts. And so I, I consider myself Latina. I don't like the word Hispanic. I really don't like being called Hispanic because it just has a reference to like Hispaniola, which is Spain and just makes mm-hmm. you think of colonization. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't like it. So Latina, mm-hmm. we live in Latin America. We're from Latin America, Latina, right? So mm-hmm. that's how I identify myself. And Brazilians aren't included in Hispanic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that too, even though it makes no sense. I'm like, they're the <laughs> biggest country in Latin America. I don't get it, but. <laughs> yeah, I think the history, you know what, like, it's so funny because I grew up yeah I mean I grew up like my family always said Hispanos yeah. you know like Hispanos and et cetera, et cetera. for you did your did your family like grow up saying that like did you hear that growing up a lot oh. or like what did you hear so my mom is a very proud Guatemalteca chapina so we were always like, my mom's always been anti the colonization and and, and whitewashing right my mom just Mm -hmm. just to give some background my mom's done a lot of work with empowerment of women specifically latina women um and that's kind of where i get my drive from from her so Mm -hmm. she's always been kind of like against the patriarchy against colonization (laughs) so she's always like yo soy latina yo soy chapina i'm not hispanic Mm -hmm. (laughs) we always said chapina central american sis yes exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) and what about your dad did he like rep his Brazilian side like did you grow up with that Brazilian side so funny enough I actually grew up more with my stepfather so my stepfather mm-hmm. is Puerto Rican um and so my brother Girl. I know I have it all so I, I call my yeah. Puerto Rican by association um my brothers are both Puerto, half Puerto Rican half Guatemalan so I'm the only one who's who's Brazilian uh so in my house we we you know, we're very familiar with the Puerto Rican culture. I've been to Puerto Rico many times. I love that island so much. Um, so I was raised more with that side. But I do speak some Portuguese, uh, which I learned on my own, though, in college. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah. Got it. I love that, though. You have, like, El Caribe. Yeah. You have Central America. You have, like, South America. <laughs> right? I'm, like, Latina full and full, through and through. <laughs> Through and through. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, let's talk about, is it your parents' immigration story? Um, yeah. If you know it, like, what's their immigration story? And your mom, I'm, I'm so interested in learning about your mom since yeah. she's a proud Chapina. Yeah. And if people don't know, like, that's that's Guatemaltecos, right? Yeah. Like, and there's and there's so many other ones. It was funny because our independence day just happened, right? Yes. And Honduras is included in that. And I saw this like thing because we all have nicknames, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like Catrachos from Honduras. Uh-huh. Ticos I from Puerto Rico. I didn't know that. What's the Hondureño one? Catrachos. Catrachos. That's a new Catracho. one. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Um, I only know Chapines because I took a trip to Guatemala and oh. it was so beautiful. Yay. And I learned so much about Guatemala and its culture. And I have this ring. So fun fact quick segue yes (laughs) in Guatemala they have beautiful jades right like jade jewelry jade jade stone Mm -hmm. oh you do oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I have this lavender jade which is so particular and special to Guatemala you can only find it in Guatemala and I had to buy the ring I was like 
I want it. (laughs) And it was like the best purchase I've ever done. And I like literally wear it and I never take it off because it like reminds me of that trip and how spiritual, transformational it was. And just what part did you go to? I went to um, for like a day or two. Mm -hmm. I went to um, Antigua. Of course. Because that's where I like. So it was a volunteer trip. So I went there for like a day and we did like some of the touristy stuff, which, of course, I was like, this is cool. Um, <laughs> and then we went to oh, where is it? Esquintla. Yeah. I think that's Esquintla. what it was called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Esquintla. Uh-huh. And then we went there and then we stayed there for a week. Ooh. Um, and it was so beautiful. We did not do any touristy stuff there because I know there's a beautiful beach yep. right by there. Yep. But we didn't go. <laughs> we spent our time with this with this little community um, by Esquintla. And it was oh, so, like, I still think about that trip oh, all the time. But it was a week with this little group of, it, it was, it's called Los Angeles. It's, like, so small and, and very poor, which they literally named themselves. Mm-hmm. La Comunidad, you know, they just named themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're Los Angeles. And I, like, joked around. I was like, oh, I'm, like, from San Diego. And that's close to L.A. Oh. <laughs> Um, and they were like, that's so cool. But it was, it was, it was a really cool trip. And I was able to see a lot of Guatemala and man, all your volcanoes. I was so scared. I was like, there's so many here. So many. Like it's literally the, and they were so casual. They're like, yeah, it's active. It's fine. It's, It's, you know, it's, it's not going to (laughs) explode. No, we're fine. We're okay. That is awesome. I'm so glad you visit and and see some of the beauty of of Guatemala because, you know, there is a lot of problem there are a lot of problems there right but it is mm-hmm. such a beautiful naturally beautiful country like there's just so much nature and then mm-hmm. they have the Mayan ruins there um they mm-hmm. have the beaches there's even actually a beach that I want to go to when I go back called Livingston and oh. Livingston is an area on the coast of Guatemala on the coast of the Caribbean and it's actually all black people that live there it's very interesting. Um, so it's a very like Caribbean culture, but it's in Guatemala and it's like a whole community of kind of like this like black kind of Caribbean community. And I've always, oh, wanted, I love that. Yeah, I've always wanted to visit. They speak English there. Like it's really interesting. Like everyone there speaks English um, and I've always wanted to visit. So there's still so much to explore. I've been there oh my God, all, I'm sure. all the time to visit family. Um, so now I like want to go back and check, check out Livingston. <laughs> Oh my God. Can I come with you? (laughs) I'm coming. I'm so curious. So do you know what, um, what that community, like their name or their roots? Because I'm curious because in Honduras, we have something similar. We have La Garifuna, Uh um, which is, which is Ruatan and like Mm -hmm. all those islands. So it is part of the Caribbean, right? But it's in Honduras and Oh, so beautiful. They gave us punta, which is our dance. But I know at some point, I, I don't know this history that well, so don't quote me, but I know Garifuna is also in other parts of Central America. So I'm like curious, is it part of Guatemala or is that just you know like... What? That sounds like it could be. I actually want to do a little more research on that because I'm not sure. I know. But um, I, I want to know too. <laughs> I didn't know when I went to Guatemala the last time I was on um, one of the main, I was in, this, in El Capital. That's where my family lives now. But they're actually from mm-hmm. Antigua originally. Um, and I was walking and there was these like, they were playing drums and this amazing like drumming music. Mm-hmm. And it was a, they were, and it was like five black men. And I didn't know. And I went over and I was like, hey, like, where is this music from? And they're like, oh, we're from Livingston. We're like, I was like, what's Livingston? And they're like, it's, we're off the coast oh my God. of the Caribbean in Guatemala. And I was like, what? And I was, okay, I need to learn more. 
<laughs> yeah. This is cool. No, there's so much we need to learn. I like I, there's so many things where I'm like, oh, I need to look more into that or I need to like learn more about that history. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much. Um, but yeah, let's talk about your, your parents' immigration story and then we can segue into your story. So the first person who moved over to Boston was not my mom, but actually my grandmother. Um, so my grandmother mm. moved from Guatemala here uh, because she was looking for a better job and a better life. So in Guatemala, her husband, uh, she had already had three kids and her husband passed away. Um, mm. He had, I think he was much older and I think he had like a heart condition or something and he passed away. So she was kind of left as a single mom with three children um, in Guatemala. So what she decided to do was she was going to leave her kids with her mom. So with their grandmother and come to Boston in search of a better life and a better job and, you know, make enough money so that she could pay for her children to come over and, and live with her. Right. So that was her plan. Um, mm. So she was actually a nurse. Uh, she found a job. Mind you, I've asked her this story and I'm still like confused how she found this job. But like she said, she saw a posting <laughs> in the newspaper that there were like families in the U.S. looking for caretakers, like people who just can stay at their homes and uh, kind of like nannying, but like caretaking. Um, mm, and they okay. would pay for your, your flight and they'd pay your visa and like all these things. So she applied and by herself, not speaking a word of English, just <laughs> went, came to Boston. And I, I'm still to this day so amazed and impressed that she could do that because to just uproot your entire family, your entire way of living, your language, everything, your kids, right. To come to the unknown. Um, and mm -hmm. at the time, obviously like you know, actually not at the time, still extremely racist country, right? So uh, <laughs> let's not, let's not. Unfortunately, it. yes. Let's still. Not it. So she came over um, and then she was working for this family and at the same time trying to send money back uh, to take care of her kids and learning English. So she actually lived here for about 10, maybe like nine years before she had enough to like mm. bring her kids over. So by the time my mom came, she was about 16 years old, 15 or 16. Um, and mm. didn't speak any English. She did not want to come here at all. Uh, so oh. yeah. So when she came and, and I think that's something important to, to highlight because a lot of times people think immigrants want to come here, right? Like that this is their choice. And it's like, no, a lot of times they have no choice or things are so bad in their home country that they're forced to relocate or look for a yeah. safer way of living. Um, a lot of that way of thinking is super ignorant. Uh, so mm -hmm. anyways. No, that I'm glad you highlighted that because that is super important. Mm -hmm. People, yeah, they're forced to come here because it's a better life, yeah. right? It's quote unquote, the American dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm just thinking, you know, I, there's a lot of ignorance around that. And it, it really upsets me because I'm like, you really think somebody would want to uproot their entire life and everything that they know and their family and their language and their food and their culture to come here because they want to steal your job. Like, that's what you think? You really think that's what's happening? <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, what are they doing? They're like, you know, working on they're fields. The they're like want. cleaning toilets. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Like, really? Like, you're scared they're, like, taking your jobs? Yeah, yeah. that's – and it's, it's just – it really is rooted in xenophobia, in racism, mm -hmm. and honestly, ignorance. So, um, so anyways, that's a, a whole other tangent I can get on. But um, – <laughs> so my mom moved here, and, you know, she figured it out, and she was resilient. You know, she tells me stories how it was for her growing up and how, you know, we think racism is bad now. Huh. 
<laughs> back mm-hmm. in the 70s, right? 70s, 80s, it was just as bad, if not more, right? More blatant. Um, mm-hmm. It was just telling me a lot about how difficult it was for her to, to, you know, become accustomed to the culture here, learn the language, make friends, you know, she had- And how, and how was that for you to like hear those stories? Oh, it was, it was for me, I actually did a project in college. I, I did a lot of women's studies classes. And one of my projects in college mm-hmm. was to do an oratory uh, report on your, on your mom. And so literally mm-hmm. they had us uh, interview our moms as an assignment and ask them about their life. And just really like asked them and, and really kept the questions minimal uh, to let your mom really share her story. So when I did that project, it was so eye opening for me because, you know, obviously I knew bits and pieces about her story, but I never had taken the time to actually sit with her and ask, you know, how did this make you feel? Right. How mm-hmm. was this experience for you? And I'm here to just listen. Like you share whatever it is that you want to share. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you uh, prompts or anything like that. Just, mm-hmm. just share. Uh, so it was amazing for me. And, and honestly, parts of it were so sad. And like, you know, parts of the story, she started crying. And our teacher told mm-hmm. us, the professor was like, if she starts crying, don't say anything. Don't come for her. Oh, don't really? Say yeah. Our professor was like, if, if, the, if she starts crying, let her cry. And then let her continue mm-hmm. with her story. I'm right. sure that would be so therapeutic for, yeah. you know, whoever is being interviewed, like your mom, yeah. right? Like, I'm sure that's a very, like, needed cry. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But it was so hard to sit there and just, like, watch her cry. I and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. So, <laughs> so much of me would just be like, uh, you know, like, like yeah, I'm going to hold, I'm a hold yeah. you, I'm going to hug you. <laughs> it was so hard. But but in the end, I'm, I'm glad that I stuck to it and, and, and didn't give mm-hmm. in because that could have distracted her from what she really wanted to continue telling her story. So mm-hmm. I let her continue. And, and it was just really, for me, impactful to learn her, her background and her past and really see how resilient these women have been. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, well, this is in my blood. Being resilient and strong and empowering is in my blood. And if she can go through all of that experience and make it out and, and have, you know, she has her master's degree She's an ESL teacher. She has three wonderful children. Um, they own a home, right? Like there's so many great things that mm-hmm. she's accomplished that I'm like, okay, I have no excuse. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to do better. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about that sometimes though? Like sometimes I feel like pressure. that pressure is yeah. a lot to carry. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I literally we said pressure at the same time. Um, I I agree with you. It's one, it's 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 a great thing to, to know that you have all of this experience and you have, you know, you are blessed with a lot of things that maybe your parents weren't blessed with. Right. So mm-hmm. for example, I was born here. I'm first generation. Um, I obviously was, you know, Spanish was my first language, but I picked up English very, very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had, I was fortunate enough to not have to move to another country, right? And be uprooted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to go, you know, going to college was never a, an option. It was like a, you're going to college, right? <laughs> whether you like it or not, you're mm-hmm. going to college, right? So that was never like an option of if I was going or not, um, you know, always having food on the table, just having a stable two-parent household. Um, all of those things mm-hmm. are things that I am grateful for. And I know that my mom and even her mom didn't have, right, growing up. So 
Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it makes you, it gives you motivation, right? But on the other hand, like mm-hmm. you said, it is a lot of pressure and it is a lot of constant kind of measuring yourself up, up to something. Like I have to have this by a certain date or I'm not satisfied. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think we need to learn as as Latinos and especially as women, right? You're You're a Latina woman like me, like we have to be empathetic towards ourselves. We have to be mm-hmm. kinder t- towards ourselves and it's okay if things don't turn out exactly how we want them um, or maybe they don't turn out perfect the first time and we have to learn, I think, to le- be less hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Honestly, I, I feel like a lot of the the first generation struggle is, yes, you have that motivation because you have really strong roots, ancestors, your parents, your family. It's It's a strong foundation. But the other hand, it's like, I don't know if you if you struggle with this, but this is something I've had to come to terms with is that I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking for what's next. I'm like, all right, like, you know, how can I go up from here? What's next for me? How can I do better? And I'm like always trying to like push forward and push forward that sometimes like I don't I don't just I don't enjoy the present moment. And I'm like, oh, I really need to like chill sometimes, uh-huh. <laughs> like consciously tell myself, like, girl, you can chill. Yeah. You can just like sit here and, and, you know, like, you don't just always have be to be in the productive. moment and enjoy. You don't always have to be productive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, quote unquote productive. Sometimes taking time for self care and taking a break is the most productive mm-hmm. thing you can do. <laughs> yes. And that was, you know, that's been a new thing for me because self care is not rooted in my family. You know, yeah, that wasn't my something. Right. I feel like a lot of immigrants, it's not the luxury that they have. So being able to even have self-care, I'm like, sometimes I feel guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's just this constant battle with myself, but it's it's a learning battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm learning from it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing that we can have self-care. And I'm constantly trying to teach my family that too. I'm like, chill, you know? And like, I'm trying to be all zen, yeah. even though inside I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's also important to remember that like, and that's one thing I really look upon myself for is like to heal from a lot of the past traumas that our families have gone through that they have not mm-hmm. been able to heal from, right? They don't, mm-hmm. they weren't afforded the space to heal. Like my grandma worked 80 hour, hundred hour weeks. Right. So like, when did mm-hmm. she have time for self-care? When did she have time to heal or rest properly? Right. So mm-hmm. it's like this continuous, I've been learning a lot about like trauma and how trauma is actually uh, genetic and it can be passed on mm-hmm. from generation to generation. So it's like unlearning a lot of what was learned and really dealing with okay, I don't have to be in this traumatized state anymore. I can do better, right? I can learn mm-hmm. and I can be better and I want to do better for the next generation. Oh, I man. Want, I don't want to Unlayering do all of those layers yes, yes. of trauma. Yeah. Oof, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard work, but, it, but it's necessary work. And someone has to, you know, end that generational trauma at some point. Oh, my God. Of course. I, it's so important. And that's been something that I've been learning more about, too, because I also heard that trauma is stored in the body. Yeah, totally. So like mm-hmm. when you're feeling exhausted or like this, you know, like everything has a purpose. And it's just crazy to think about how connected everything oh is from God. our experiences to our environment mm-hmm. to our ancestors, like everything. Right. Yeah. Everything yeah. is super connected. I'm super like. Ever since, especially since this whole <laughs> coronavirus quarantine 
going on, I've become much more uh, meditative and reflective and becoming a, a Deepak Chopra groupie. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, but just really, really doing the inner work because I think I was always, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can relate, but I was always on the go, 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 go all the time. I am not a, home, I am not a homebody. I was never home. I was yeah. always traveling. I was always this place and that. And so this, you know, a lot of distractions. And then this quarantine, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm calling 2020 straight up. I'm calling 2020 the year of the awakening. Oh yeah. Ooh, I literally am calling like it that. the year of the awakening because I think it's awoken a lot of people to their own mm-hmm. traumas and their own issues that they maybe suppressed or continuously distracted themselves from. And now they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to distract mm. themselves. Right. They have to deal. Girl, with I was <laughs> girl, I was just talking about this mm-hmm. with with some family members because they were like everything's gotten so much worse in 2020 and I'm like but like let's like try to like think this through right like let's try to like actually unpack this I'm like in my opinion I feel like people are just paying attention now more than ever I don't feel like things are new like you know the fires Mm -hmm. happening aren't new Mm -hmm. the things happening with our farm workers aren't new Mm -hmm. you know like police brutality is not new and so all these things Sure, it may look like it's getting worse because that's what the media is portraying, but maybe people are actually paying attention and they're actually wanting to do something about it. And like, maybe that's a good thing, you know? And so like trying to flip that narrative and I'm like, I think for myself and my own journey through (laughs) like Quarantena, you know, it's been crazy, but I've been paying more attention to myself, the inner work, like you were saying, Uh like I was the same way. I was always running from event to event. Uh I was always like doing something like- Uh your girl was just driving all over the Bay Area all the time like that was my life Mm -hmm. and now I'm like oh my god I have all this time on my hands and like I used to tell myself all the time oh I don't have time for this because I'm busy or I don't have time for xyz I don't have time for self-care I don't have time for like so many other things and now I'm like that is the biggest lie I've told myself yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's like my like I just chose to spend my time elsewhere you know you you make the time for things that are important Mm-hmm. So, and that's how this podcast came about. Yes, so good that. things came out of 2020. <laughs> that makes me happy. No, so I, <laughs> it makes me happy. See, I'm meeting people like you. Yeah. Um, but what about, do you know much about your dad's side and his Brazilian roots? So and his immigration story, his immigration story. I, I don't actually really know much about. He was, mm. I know my family's from Minas Gerais. Um, to be honest, my mom really just does not want anything to do with him. So she kind of cut him, mm. cut him out completely. But my Puerto Rican side, I do know my stepfather. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, I know his story. <laughs> I was like, let's talk about Puerto Rico then. <laughs> his story is interesting. He was actually, so he's actually half Puerto Rican. His mom's from Puerto Rico. She's from, um, uh, I think, Mayawis. She's from Mayawis in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And his father is actually Italian, like a white guy. <laughs> a bunch of things. A white guy. A white dude. Um, and he was actually in the Navy. So my father, my stepfather was actually born mm-hmm. on a naval base in Italy, technically. But technically, that's the US wow. that's a naval base. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and he traveled yeah. a lot as a kid because his dad was in the Navy. So you know, he was at different ports or whatever. And then funny enough, his story is interesting because when he moved to the U.S., back to the U.S., his mom actually um, 
refused or didn't teach them Spanish. She wanted them, him and his siblings, to assimilate as much as possible. Um, and oh, that's a whole other thing to yeah, highlight. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so she actually didn't teach them Spanish. And it's funny because my dad and his sister, who's the one on power, Monique on power, his sister, mm-hmm. um, they both look very Latino. And then the other two siblings, his other two brothers, look very white. It's just, it's really interesting. So mm. my dad actually became, <laughs> and I think this is him in defiance of his parents for sure. He studied Spanish and majored in Spanish in college, then became a Spanish teacher <laughs> for 15 years. Oh my God. Um, and he then married my mom, right? An immigrant woman with a child, because I was five when they met. Um, and oh then God, I love and it. then on top of that, now he is the principal of a bilingual school, elementary school here. In oh my God. <laughs> so I really do think he was like, okay, you're not going to teach me Spanish. I'm going to learn Spanish. And he even lived in Spain. Yes. And I think Power he to for a little bit. Yeah. So that was just really funny. Um, Cause I'm like, oh, oh my gosh! And then, <laughs> and then, how did they meet? They met in Boston. They met in Boston because your mom. Mm-hmm. They met in Boston mm-hmm. through a mutual friend. Actually, at I think at the Puerto Rican festival, Puerto Rican Day festival. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so they met in Boston, and then let's talk about you though. Like, yeah, what do you remember from oh you were God. an immigrant child with your mom? Yeah. Like, let's talk about your story. My story, so. When, so me and my mom, my mom was pretty much a single mom for the first maybe four or five years of my life. So I was just me and her. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, the oldest out of all of my cousins. So my, my family's pretty small. We don't have too many, mm-hmm. um, not, I don't have too many uncles or cousins and stuff like that. So uh, my, I was the queen bee. <laughs> meaning like the queen bee. Yeah, queen bee meaning I was the first nieta I was the first granddaughter I was the first everything right um I'm the oldest mm. out of all my cousins here so la princesa la, la princesa <laughs> la reina I call it la reina so basically la reina, la reina, <laughs> uh, so I was born and my mom you know she had me she was about 26 and my you know she had to work so I was always with my mom, you know, always she'd bring me to work. Um, I know that I, I, everybody took care of me. It was like all hands on deck with me. So all my uncles would take turns taking care of me. My grandma would take turns taking care of me. My mom had family friends that, you know, they very trusted, like my godmother. So I was always kind of like bouncing around and getting taken care of by so many people. So it was like a community mm. that, that kind of raised me, um, which was kind of cool. Oh, it's not for you. <laughs> I was spoiled. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, where's my ice cream? Come on, stop. let's get it together here. Um, so <laughs> and then my own, my brothers weren't born until I was, so me and my brothers have a big age gap. I was in, I was eight years old when my brother was born, my first brother. Um, so we have an eight year age gap. And then my other brother, 14 year age gap. Yeah. Yeah. So I was pretty much an only <laughs> my guy. family my family is so big, like those age gaps don't phase me because that's like the age gaps I have with my brothers really? and sisters. The oldest one is forty two. Okay. And then I'm the youngest and I'm twenty four. Okay. So and then my brother and I were the were the two babies. Um and he and I are six years apart oh, and wow. we're the closest in age. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So he's thirty. 
So yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh my god, I, I forgot he was thirty. I was thirty like, oh now, even though thirty. <laughs> he is thirty. <laughs> well, he's turning thirty. Okay, he's turning thirty oh, in December. Okay, cool. He's a little Sagittarius baby. Nice. I like Sagittarius. <laughs> so my brother, yeah, one of my brothers is twenty-four. Your age, actually. Um, mm-hmm. and then the other brother is eighteen. So he just graduated high school, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I feel old. I feel so old now. Um, and my other brother graduated college last year so I feel old too when he graduated oh from undergrad I was like oh my god yes I'm getting old I'm getting up there but yeah it, it was an interesting upbringing because like I said my brothers had a very stable upbringing we moved to a house mm. um, when my mom and my stepdad got together we moved to Boston I was raised originally in Cambridge like the Cambridge area and me and my mm-hmm. mom bounced around a lot. We moved to a lot of, you know, every year we moved to a different apartment. So it was always, it was me and her, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. when she got together with my stepdad, they kind of solidified that they wanted to buy a home and they actually bought a house in Boston. So my brothers kind of got to live in just one, really just one place. Um, and I mm-hmm. kind of moved around a lot before, <laughs> before that. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. Uh-huh. Those differences and experiences under one Roof, yeah right yeah yeah everybody knows me like even in Guatemala like I would go a lot more than they did so even there like everybody kind of knows me more than than my brothers because I was just older right so I was always that was kind of like my mom's like attached to the hip so anywhere she was there anywhere she went I was there like hey what's up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just popping out popping up, like what up and it's funny my stepdad he tells me when when he first met me I don't remember this because I have a horrible memory, but he told me that I was just talking and talking and talking. I don't know about what, like what can a five-year-old talk about? And then he said that at one point I looked at him and I was like, you don't talk very much, do you? You're kind of quiet. <laughs> and then he, was, he was like, he was just laughing because I could have talked forever. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Was was he actually quiet or yeah. was it just that you had a lot on your mind? My- <laughs> <laughs> my dad my, my dad my stepdad is definitely much more of an introvert he's a very like pensive mm. like you know one of those people that only talks when they have something important to say kind of one of those mm. he's like one of those people he's more of a listener my mom is definitely the the talker at the house oh that's where, you get that's where I get it from uh and then I'm definitely like yeah I have a big mouth so <laughs> always <laughs> always but that's good, but it's good. And so growing up, you grew up with these two cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And so did you like grow up eating like Puerto Rican food and, you mm-hmm. know, comida mala? Did you like, how was it growing yeah. up for you? Like Once your stepdad, your dad came into your life. Yeah. So I would say my mom did majority of the cooking. So it was usually Guatemalan food. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of rice and beans, lots of tortillas and tamales for you know Christmas, we'd have to make tamales. Um, a lot of like you know traditional Guatemalan dishes like bistec. Mm-hmm. You know, we eat a lot of different things. Um, my dad's not so much of a cook; he is more of a baker. <clears throat> so Ooh. I'm very, very fortunate, and that he is an amazing baker. And when I mean like makes the best croissants and like pies and all that good stuff, like he more he likes desserts and stuff. He makes pizza homemade pizza but he's not really oh a cook oh, he's italian is that is that his italian, well, italian side coming out? I, think so. <laughs> I, I really don't know where i think for him it's therapeutic he's just like his mom loves baking she's an amazing baker uh, i think he learned it from her and then he, for him it's kind of like therapeutic to like 
bake pies. And I'm like, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> you know, that's not fear. La reina's back. Yeah, la reina's back. I'll have some of that pie though. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's for him. Like he likes more baking. He's not so much of a cook. So I grew up more definitely with Guatemalan food. And my grandma lived with us for a while too. And she would, mm. she would cook all the best, oh, the like pork chops. Oh, so good. All the stuff. Like, oh. I miss living with my grandma. <laughs> and how and how was it? I'm curious because I've only been to Boston once. Yep. But one of, one of the things that I always talk about in this podcast and every episode is that where you grow up has a big influence in who you are, mm. right? And like the way you carry yourself, um, depending, right? Like some people, especially like I'm from California, but more I'm I'm from San Diego, yeah. SoCal. And even like the Bay Area and SoCal are very different places. San Diego is my favorite. I love San Diego. Oh, it's my favorite. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would totally live there. It's so beautiful here. Mm -hmm. My best friend lived there. She lived there for a few years. So I was always, always in San Diego visiting. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I love it here so much. (laughs) I feel like every, I feel like I learn more about San Diego and I discover all these new places every time. Like every like day. I'm like, I didn't even know this is here. <laughs> and it's that's what I love about San Diego. It's just so, so like endless, I feel like. The the beauty of it, the yeah, things to do. Totally. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, the food. Um <laughs> food, yeah. the Mexican food oh is just the bomb. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so bomb. I lived in Mexico for a bit, so I know good Mexican food. Like I'm bougie. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm very bougie Why? when it comes to Mexican food. Um, I studied abroad. I lived there and, and did a study abroad program, and oh, where in Mexico? twenty pounds as well. Um, oh, girl, I don't blame it. you. <laughs> Every pound, I don't care. It was worth it. <laughs> I lived in Puebla. I lived in Puebla, which is like a city, a beautiful city, an hour south of BF of uh, Mexico City. So, fun fun fact: yeah. my dad. So, both my parents are Honduran. Yep. Um, and my dad, when he was immigrating over here, he actually. He has a funny, a funny, I mean, interesting story. He went to Richmond, which is in the Bay Area, and then he lived there for like a couple months, he said, but he was like, oh, I don't like America. That was his like <laughs> first life. Like, I don't like it here. So he went back to Mexico and he lived in Mexico. He lived in the Efe. Oh. And one of the things he told me was he, a lot of people, a lot of his Mexican friends told him, dude, you can't have that Honduran accent here. So he had to assimilate to Mexican culture. Like he would talk like them and he like learned how to eat spice because Hondurans don't eat spice yeah, like Guatemalans that. Guatemalans <laughs> don't either. I almost died. Yeah. I'm like, this is not normal for us. But he's like, he taught me how to eat spice. You yeah. know, he's the only one in the family. Me and him are the only ones who eat spice. Everyone looks at us like we're crazy. <laughs> but he like, yeah, he had to assimilate to, to Mexican culture. So when he moved to San Diego, it was like, oh, this is a happy medium. Yeah. You know, it feels like. I have this part of the culture, this Mexican culture, but I have my Honduran family here. Yeah. So it was like very interesting. So That's I awesome. get it. Yeah. It has also you with Mexican food. Oh my food. God, yeah. <laughs> if I go to a place, first of all, I'm like, um, ew, they put cheese on the tacos. Hell no. Let's get out of here. I never understood that. I never understood the taco. I'm like, the, the taco is simple. Yeah. You don't have to put cheese. Like, what are you doing? Or like lettuce. I don't even like lettuce on it. Like, get get that out of my face. No. Like, get out of my face with that. No. So people will try to be like, like cilantro, cebolla, oh, and then like maybe some guac Virginia. and salsa. And then, like, I don't know, but like none of that other stuff. And it has none to be of that. corn tortilla. Like, if I go anywhere and they're like, we don't have corn, I'm like, well, I'm not eating here. <laughs> Does Boston have good Mexican food? No, like, I don't know. For the most part, no. There's like, 
a few <laughs> little hidden spots here and there, like kind of far, you know, you have to travel to go there. Um, Rhode Island, surprisingly, mm-hmm. Rhode Island has bomb Mexican and Guatemalan food. Like Rhode Island has a lot of Latinos. Um, so I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. If you ever come here, we'll, we'll go eat at, uh, this, my favorite restaurant in, in Providence. It's called, uh, Mi Guatemala. And there's literally always a line around the block for this place. It's so good. All right. It's, we're going to put it in the calendar. We're going to plan for it. <laughs> but how was it? How was it growing up in Boston? Uh, so Boston and so when I grew up in Cambridge, so I lived there till I was about 10, 11 years old. And at the time, Cambridge was very diverse, like very diverse. There was a huge community of Latinos and black people and obviously white people, but it was a, a mixture. And when I went to school, I was in the bilingual program from first grade, no, kindergarten until fifth grade. And my bilingual program was so diverse. Like I literally had friends that were Latino, black, Asian, white, like everything. So my upbringing in Cambridge was pretty awesome because I never felt, you know, like I was the only Latina. Like I never felt, you know, alienated or anything like that and I played soccer too I played soccer I I did piano like I did a lot of different things so my upbringing was good and then when I moved to Boston actually my high school in Boston is also was also very diverse and the neighborhood I moved into was very diverse so I think my first really big encounter with whiteness and corporate culture really was when I went to college um, I went to Boston College, and Boston College is a predominantly white university and very, you know, very, it's a Jesuit school. It's very, um, you know, Division One athletics, so football, mm-hmm. tailgating, that's like a huge culture there. You know, the, the frat culture was a big thing there, and people drinking, and just a lot of white people. And that was my first time really feeling like I not that I didn't belong, but definitely feeling like, oh, oh, this is what this is like, right? So uh, mm-hmm. being maybe one of the only Latina women in a class, right? That was something that I became used to. Um, and I was like, you know, at first it was a shock. I was like, oh, oh, I'm the only one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Like I felt, you know, I did feel the imposter syndrome. At the time, I didn't know what it was. Um, but I didn't have a name for it, but I was like, mm, I don't fit in here. I don't feel like mm-hmm. as comfortable as everyone else, right? But now I look back and it's like, yeah, it was definitely like feelings of, of being an imposter that I didn't belong there. And it was funny because they were actually, well, actually not funny. It was, there were actually a lot of racial incidents when I was in college. Oh, too. really? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, so it was just interesting because, you know, it's just, it's a funny, it's a, it's a funny place because Division one athletes, right? Most most of them are black. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. The best athletes are black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so let's be real, let's honest, be real here. honest here. <laughs> so, you know, basketball players, football players, all that. So it was interesting because you had this culture of like athletics being the focus of the university and like the reason why so many people would visit. And But then at mm-hmm. the same time, you didn't have diversity in staff, right? You didn't really have professors who were people of color mm-hmm. you didn't have people who were deans of the university that were black and brown um there was still there was obviously like diversity programs but it wasn't like a focal point right so it was a lot of racial incidences incidents when i was there for example one day you know somebody went into the multicultural office and put a swastika on the wall somebody like spray painted a swastika on the wall 
and then like kind of destroyed the office. And we still to this day don't know who did it. Mm -hmm. It's like things here and there. And I was like, okay, like racial tensions definitely exist still in the 21st Mm -hmm. century. There's still a lot of racism. And I think this year, more than ever, again, 2020, the year of the awakening, I think now more and more Mm -hmm. people are seeing how prevalent racism is in our society, uh, in all levels of of institutions, all levels. All levels. All levels, yeah. And, and in different ways. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right? Definitely. So that's what I learned a lot was just kind of navigating those white spaces so that, you know, when I worked in corporate and I worked in these different, uh, especially in the technology sector, it's mainly predominantly white male dominated. So I was like, oh, I'm used to this. Mm-hmm. been there before. I know, I know what the deal is, <laughs> right? So that was kind of my first uh, experience and exposure to being in a predominantly white culture. And how and how was that transition for you? Because I'm just thinking like you went from this childhood up until high school where you were around diversity. You didn't feel that imposter syndrome. You know, you were you were around people who were also diverse and then going into college. Like, how is that balance for you? Like, just want to know about that journey into <laughs> into college. And just I feel like a lot of people go through that, right? Like they don't see people who look like them in the classroom or around them. And that's why a lot of people feel like they don't belong and they yeah. end up leaving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, um, I was very fortunate in that I was actually in this kind of summer enrichment program before college. And it was mainly for um for students of color. So I actually got to oh, meet. I love it. Yeah, I had a pretty good tight-knit community already before I started. So I was able to do this program in the summer before college. Um, and it got you more prepared to, to start classes with everyone else. It was like a summer enrichment. You could take two classes that are, gave you credits um, were towards your degree. So it was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I actually had a good community of, of friends when I, when I arrived already. And I instantly... <laughs> Because this is just how I am. Like I always like to be involved in, in school activities, whether that's um, you know, <laughs> some type of club or sports or you know, you know different kind of groups that they offer. So the first thing yeah. I did is like, okay, what organizations do I want to be a part of, right? And I was like, okay, I definitely want to be a part of Ola. Ola was the um, organization Latin American Affairs. I was like, okay, I definitely want to be a part of that. I definitely want to be mm, part of the Brazilian club. Yeah, they had a Brazilian club, which I actually became president of. Um, so I was part of the oh. Brazilian club. Yep. And then Reina slash president. president. <laughs> and then from there, I also was um, my first year I actually was in the they had like this reggae hip hop dance group. So I was in the dance. Group. Oh, yeah. I called famous. And, you know, so I was just very involved. I was I wanted to try all types. Yeah, of I played intramural soccer. Um, I played soccer for 17 years. So I was like, okay, I want to keep playing soccer. So I did. So yeah, it was it was awesome. Like I, I made my own communities, right? I was like, okay, in the class, I can't really have a community. But outside of the class, where can mm-hmm. I when can I find my my safe space and where I could make my friendships and feel like I could be included? Right? So that's, that's really what I did. Right? Yeah. Oh, creating those. Yeah, yeah. girl, creating yeah. those spaces for yeah. yourself, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's segue into our, I think this is a natural segue into our cafecito and cheese portion, because I want to talk about your job, passion projects. You could talk about relationships, you know, spill the cheese however you want, Okay. (laughs) but just, you know, navigating the job. So you graduated college and then you go into your job and I don't know if it's the one you're working in now, but yeah, you can talk about your job. No, girl. We could talk about jobs (laughs) for hours. 
So I, it's funny, Joshua, who Encarnacion, my CEO, who you uh, were fortunate to meet, Joshua laughs and he makes fun of me all the time because he says that Christina's had every job. <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> but you're right. Um, so when I say I've had many types of jobs, like I can kind of, I'll tell you kind of my path, the career path that I've had um, and how I ended up in the technology sector, because that, that story is pretty funny. Uh, it was not planned at all, by the way. Most of my career, All right, I'll be drinking my coffee. Yeah, most I'll of listen. my career was not planned. <laughs> Sit back and listen. Yeah, so for example, um, so one thing I always knew that I loved to do when I was in college was travel. That's when I started becoming really involved in service trips. I actually got to go to Brazil for a month for free on a service trip. Um, and I was in Bahia in Salvador, Brazil. And I started, you know, when I traveled there and then I would take, you know, spring break trips to like Mexico or wherever. I just started realizing I absolutely loved traveling. Like I loved learning about other cultures mm -hmm. and seeing how other people in the world live and just meeting people from other places. And so I, that's why I actually studied abroad in Mexico. I really was like, okay, I want to study abroad. When else do we have the chance to just live somewhere for six to eight months? Right. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to study abroad. I want to be in Latin America for a variety of reasons. I was like, I want to be there because one, I want to live in Latin America, see what that feels like. I'm Latina. I want to see what that mm -hmm. feels like. But also it was cheaper, right? Everybody was going to like London or Spain Girl. or Paris. And I was like, y'all taking out loans to go study abroad. Y'all are dumb. You could go somewhere where it's so much cheaper <laughs> to live. Oh my God. Be. So true yeah, though. It made no sense. So true. And I was like, y'all are dumb. I'm going to Mexico. So I ended up, um, <laughs> saving money actually that semester so anyways I went I went and lived in Mexico and I lived with an amazing host family who still to this day were connected and the mom was the most amazing cook I've ever met so that's why I gained like 20 pounds but worth it worth it um and that was just an amazing experience for me so after that I was like okay I want to travel after I graduate I was like I don't want to stay in Boston like I don't want to be here um so I decided to I don't know if I mentioned this, but I also studied Japanese for four years. Um, and I had never Girl. been to Japan. I could never <laughs> afford to go to Japan at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply to this program called the JET program, Japan Exchange Teaching Program. Very, by the way, very mm. like prestigious, very uh, competitive program. I was like, I'm going to apply and see if I can go teach English in Japan next year after I graduate. Um, mm -hmm. and so I did apply and I got, I mean, it was a very rigorous application process, interview process. You had to write essays, <laughs> all these different things you had to do. Um, and I ended up getting it and I got the, I got into the program. And so I literally left in August. I graduated May in August. I, I left to Japan and I moved there not knowing a single person. Not wow. a single soul. You got a taste of what your yep. families went through, yep. right? Exactly. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I went to Japan and mind you, there weren't hardly any Latinos in the program, right? It was a very, mm -hmm. not a lot of Latinos. I don't think even know about the program. So I was fortunate and I lived yeah. right outside of Tokyo. I got placed right outside of Tokyo, which was awesome. Um, wow. Because I was like in the city, you know, I wasn't in the middle of the rice fields in the middle of nowhere, Japan. <laughs> Uh, so I got very, very lucky. And, you know, during that time, I just kept traveling. So every break, every summer break, spring break, winter break, whatever break, I was out. I was in, you know, Asia all over, you know, China, Malaysia, Singapore, Korea, wow. know, um, anywhere you can like Vietnam, which was my favorite, uh, Thailand, you know, all, Cambodia, all these places. So I, I just became 
obsessed. <laughs> and I was like, I want to travel and see more mm-hmm. of the world. Um, and so I stayed there for two years teaching English in high school. And after that, I still didn't get my fix. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to leave Japan, but mm-hmm. I want to I wanna continue traveling. So where can I go? So I ended up, I'd never been to Europe. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Where can I live in Europe where I speak the language? Spain. So I was like, all right, I'm moving to Spain. So me and my best friend actually moved together. We applied for this program in Spain to be teachers. And we actually requested to be in the same town and we got it. And we both moved to Spain together. And we lived in a city called, a little pueblo called Priego de Córdoba, which is in the south mm. of Spain. And then that That's my brother's last name. Oh, Córdoba? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a common yeah. name. Um, so we lived in Priego and it was literally a pueblo in between Granada and Córdoba. So right in the south of, of, of Spain. And it was amazing. Oh, I think best year of my life for sure. Really? Yeah, Spain's incredible. So we traveled everywhere too, all through Europe. I wanted to see as much as I could while I was there. So, you know, made friends all over. And after that year, I was like, all right, you know, I think I got most of my travel out of my system. Like maybe I should go get my MBA. So like, let me go back to school. So that was my plan, right? So I came back to Boston Mm -hmm. and I was like, all right, I'm going to get my MBA, but I don't want to pay for it. Cause like, fuck that, right? Oh, sorry. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I was like, I'm not paying. So I got a, a job at a university. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to work at a university and go to school for free. That was my plan. So mm-hmm. I worked, started, I got a job at Northeastern University. And I was actually an interna- international student advisor, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> so I went from being a teacher, an English teacher in Japan and Spain, to then being an international student advisor in higher education. And taking MBA classes part-time, right? So while I was there, mm-hmm. I managed a lot of work-study students. Majority mm-hmm. of them were Indian and Chinese, and they all study engineering for the most part. They study computer science, engineering. Mm-hmm. That's when I started learning about tech through them. I started mm-hmm. learning about software development, software engineering, information systems, computer science. And I, I really started learning about how much money you can make in tech and, like, oh. and I was like oh so what do y'all do and they're like oh yeah my you know I, I just graduated undergrad I just got my first offer and I'm going to be getting 90 90k and I'm like Oof. fresh out of college what and I was like okay we need to talk so yeah. um, <laughs> that's when I started learning about tech and got my interest in okay maybe I should be moving into that direction this higher ed thing's not working out <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided at that time I was not enjoying my job anymore. I did not like the MBA program at all. Um, I dropped out. I called myself an MBA dropout all the time. And I realized, I love it. It wasn't, yeah, it just wasn't for me. And the cool part is I didn't spend a dime. So that's the cool part. I didn't. I didn't there you go. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, didn't work out, but I didn't at least lose any money out on it. So mm-hmm. I started reaching out to my connections and seeing like who was hiring and randomly on Facebook, on Facebook, my, oh, on Facebook, on okay. Facebook, <laughs> my old uh, friend of mine that I worked, we interned together in college at the Boston Globe. Um, I had always worked in marketing and advertising before I moved to Japan. So those, all my internships mm-hmm. been in advertising and marketing. Just preface, like I've always had a job since I was 15 years old. Like I've always had a job all types really yes I've always worked so (laughs) that's why I said I've I've had probably over like 30 jobs so with so I saw that my friend posted on Facebook that she was working at PayPal 
and that they were hiring for an advertising mm. operations position. And she's like, hit me up if you're interested. So I hit her up and I was like, yo, what's up? What's good? Mm -hmm. Like, hook me up. Let me get an interview. <laughs> like, I'm looking for a job. And she's like, definitely send me your resume and I'll make sure you get an interview. I was like, all right, cool. So I go ace the interview, um, get the job. So that was my first job in tech was, was working at PayPal. Mm -hmm. And I was the only Latina there at the entire office. And she was the only um, black woman there my friend who got me in. Mm, um, yeah. So that's when I, and you were used it. to that, right? You're like, uh, <laughs> at this point I actually was, but I was also very shocked because I'm like, PayPal is a global company. Like this is a global mm -hmm. product and this is, there's no diversity. Like what? So that's when I started really realizing the lack of diversity in tech. That's when I really like, it opened my eyes to, wow, like this is like real. From there, mm -hmm. I ended up working at HubSpot which is like a big tech marketing software company in Cambridge. So I, I work and it's kind of like the place to work in Massachusetts. Like everybody wants to work there. It's just like the spot. So I, I got a job there. I was working. That was a big deal for you. It was a big deal for me. It was actually a really very big deal because it's very hard to get into that company. Mm -hmm. like it's known, very, very difficult. And everybody wants to work there because they have really great benefits and great packages. Like, it's just a great place to work. Mm -hmm. So when I got the job there, it was, you know, that was definitely a highlight for me. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm in tech now, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, during my time there, I, I started off as a uh, customer success manager. So I managed a lot. And I know a big part of the reason I was hired was because I could speak Spanish. Like I managed a lot of their Latin American accounts. Got it. I, I was so grateful to have that Spanish, you know, language as kind of that. I had this upper hand, right? I'm like, okay, I not only mm -hmm. do I speak English, I speak Spanish. So I have the upper hand here with can candidacy for these types of roles. So I worked there. Again, saw the lack of diversity. There was probably 800 employees, maybe 80 people of color in total. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And I just remember being Unfortunately. Like, yeah, I just remember being like the spicy Latina. People would like refer to me as like, because I'm very outspoken. I am almost, I have a yeah. strong personality. I talk, you know, I say what's on my mind. Yeah. I was kind of referred to as- We're passionate. We're passionate, passionate people. Yeah, I'm very passionate. And <laughs> so I became the spicy Latina, which I, I actually didn't appreciate. Because I'm like, right, why right. are you calling me this derogatory word? Like, what does spicy have to do with anything? Like, why can't you just say spicy, exotic, things like that? Assertive like, woman. <laughs> assertive woman, or like, you know, woman who knows what she wants, not spicy Latina. I don't mm -hmm. know. I just felt a way. So now I get it. Yeah. It, it makes me feel some type of way. You're like, Ugh. yeah. I'm like, why do <laughs> why I gotta be spicy? Why, and not only that, why does Latina have to do with anything? You know what I mean? Like, right. why does it have to right. be that I'm Latina? Like, who cares? So it, was, it has nothing to do with yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where I started really realizing like how white tech was and male dominated, especially. So mm -hmm. that's when I became much more passionate about diversifying tech. So first thing I did was um, I helped actually build the first employee resource group at HubSpot. It was called People of Color at HubSpot, and it still exists. Polka. You left a little legacy there, girl. Yeah, we did. Me, it was two. It was three of us that, that built it, but we decided that we wanted mm -hmm. to create a safe space. Like we really wanted a safe space for people to, to talk about things that were going on. I think this was around the Trayvon Martin happened. Mm -hmm. um, and that really triggered it. I was like, no, like 
the fact that no one's addressing this is not okay, right? This is something that is mm-hmm. affecting the well-being, the mental and emotional well-being of a lot of employees of color here, and no one's talking about it. That's really where it came from, where it stemmed from. So from there, I realized, you know, I was like, okay, I want to be, I want to work somewhere where diversity is valued. I want to work somewhere where you, I could wear many hats um, and there's no much, mm-hmm. not so much red tape, bureaucracy, political bullshit. Um, so I decided. Which is like corporate life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, I'm out. I'm done with this. Let my, um, let me head out of here. So I started also volunteering at an organization called Resilient Coders. And what Resilient Coders does is they actually uh, provide a 20 week boot camp to teach black and brown adults how to become full stack engineers. So it's a boot camp program where they actually pay people to take the program. They pay you a stipend. And the CEO is a Mexican man, David Del Mar. And he is a developer. Shout out. He is a, yeah, <laughs> David Del Mar. He's awesome. He is a developer. Um, one of his alumni actually is has now gone viral. And she has a huge platform now called Black Tech Twitter. She's actually Latina as well. Her name is Paris, oh. Paris Chandler. So just a lot of work in the space. Snaps to her. And tech. Yeah. yeah, snaps to her. And so I just started volunteering there. I'm not a developer at all. So I was helping people with their interviewing skills, mm-hmm. helping people with their LinkedIn profiles, helping people network, helping people um, make connections with different tech companies because I knew a lot of people. That, that's kind of my superpower. Uh, Odalis, my superpower yeah. is I'm the connector. I am the plug. That's what everybody calls me. I just, the plug. I'm the plug. <laughs> I know a lot of people and I love connecting people. I love helping people uh, bridge gaps, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was what that was what happened at, at Risley and Coders. And I was helping their students. And while I was helping their students, I actually found this company that ended up hiring me. And it was a small financial tech startup that worked specifically with internationals and helping them. Essentially, it's helping them get car loans without credit history. Because what happens is a lot of times internationals will come here, they want to take out a car, maybe they want to buy a car, they want to take out a car loan, but they don't get any rate, like their rates are horrible because they don't have a credit history. But it's like, why would they have credit history? If I love that you're like a, you're an expert in all these different spaces. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning exactly. so much from you. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why Josh is always laughing. He's like, you've had every job. I'm like, I know. And um, so when I worked, it was really interesting <laughs> because we were trying to create a solution for internationals who were trying to come here and take out loans and not get screwed over by banks because they don't have credit history. So essentially mm-hmm. the CTO um, who is, so awesome. I, I still love them to this day. He developed some algorithm that could assess someone's credit worthiness from other factors other than credit history. So, you know, assessing oh. it from what is your education level? How many years have you been living here? What is your income? Um, what, you know, do you have family income coming in? Um, just a lot of different factors, right? So it was really cool to work there. Um, and everyone was international. Like every single person, me and this uh, Salvadoreño guy were the only Americans there. So it was interesting because it was just me and Frank, and it was everybody else was literally from, you know, India, China, Brazil, Vietnam, uh, Turkey, Israel. Like everybody was from other places, and and I loved working there because I just felt so at home. I felt so mm-hmm. um, included. I felt, you know, everybody it was like a family. It was, it was really like a family kind of feeling. 
Um, so I was actually a digital marketing manager there. So I completely shifted <laughs> from customer success oh <laughs> and consulting to digital marketing. And also, meanwhile, at the same time, I was also leading an organization, a nonprofit in Boston called Women with Purpose, which provides professional development mm. seminars and workshops to women of color. And that for me was my passion project. That's what I that's what I really loved doing was giving people resources, professional resources that you would never get anywhere else. You know, teaching people things like financial literacy, teaching people things like how to become an entrepreneur and start your own business, teaching people things like how to be emotionally, mentally health, or how to emotional and mental health in the workplace, Te- teaching people things mm-hmm. like, um, you know, how to communicate and network effectively, right? Just things that like, we should be taught in school, but we're not. <laughs> but we're not. And There's so many things I wish you could have been taught in school. Yeah, like financial literacy 101 should be a course in every that, school. Like, how are you asking students part. to take out thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and they don't even know what the hell credit is? You know, like, it's girl, craziness. Girl, crazy. preach. <laughs> yeah, it's just so crazy. I wish, I wish someone would have told me when I was applying to colleges, like, be careful with loans. For me, I was like, ooh, I get money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let me apply for all of them, yeah. right? Uh, and it's, you know, girl. and it's, it's something, you know, worth thinking about, too. It's like there is a reason we're not taught these things, right? There is a reason that you are allowed as an 18-year-old to take out $100,000 in student loan debt, but you can't take out a $20,000 business loan, small business loan, Mm. right? There are reasons for these things. And it's really like helping people realize that, right? That like the systems that are in place are set up to make you fail. The systems that are set up in Mm -hmm. place are set up so that you are in debt, that you are in debt and you, and you don't have financial freedom to do what you want with your money. And, and other banks won't give you more loans because you have debt that you need to pay back. Right. So it's like all these things. That you know, you up. know what this reminded me of? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a movie. Um, oh, shoot. I forgot the name of the movie. The big short. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I have seen that. It's such and a there's, good movie. And there's one part, all about the stock market. Oh, such a good movie. If, and yes, mm-hmm. I mean, I am not, one of for finance that's one thing that I'm starting to learn (laughs) yeah a little more but when I watched that movie the one part that has still stuck with me till this day was when he said immigrants always fall for the money right Mm -hmm. something like that I can't remember exactly what he said but he said basically immigrants were the one population that were most vulnerable to losing their homes because because they're the ones that want to take the free money and they don't know what the restrictions are. They don't know the the fine print. Like they don't know those things. So yeah, they yeah. take it. Yeah. Oh, it made me so mad. Oh my God. I was like, and, and, and exa- that goes exactly back to my reason, right? Like they don't want you to know these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the stock market, you know, is, is a whole other playing field that if you don't have the basics in financial literacy, like you're not going to know what the hell to do in the stock market. So that, that's a whole other discussion, but but yeah, that was where my, my passion for, for giving back in a way that I could, right? And, and, and helping to educate people on things that really matter, right? Like, I don't give a, I don't mm-hmm. give a shit Pythagorean theorem. When have I ever used that shit? Ever, <laughs> right? Teach me how to go out credit. Teach me how to, yes. to do to buy a house. Like, don't teach me stupid, that, like, geometry shit. I'm that part. Use. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
and you never really do no. use it right you just like don't time you like use the pythagorean theorem like let's be real <laughs> so do engineers use that i'm like trying to think like what group of people use that <laughs> like who the hell's a mathematician so I, there's just a lot of issues I have with the education system in this country, but that's a whole other oh, yeah. conversation. And hopefully down the line, I will work in education policy. That's where I see myself in the future, you know, is it, is running for something mm-hmm. and, and having a place in, in education because this is a lot of, there needs to be a lot of reform in our education system. I, you know, I have a theory that the education system is going to completely like shift, not just because of COVID, but I've been seeing it, thinking of it for a while. Yeah. Because I look at my nephews, they're so smart. They're like five, seven, eight, like they're all these different ages. There's a lot of them, but they learn so much by just watching YouTube videos by the internet. And I'm like, how did you know? Like, I don't even know these things. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, this is how you build certain stuff. Like they just, they're so intelligent. Yeah. And like, I'm just like, there's so much access to information now that I'm like, what is going to happen to the education system? Yeah. Like it, ha- it has to shift. And a lot of institutions, I even look back at my program and I'm like, bro, there's so many things that needs to change because it does not match the industry. It's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing I learned in those classes translated into life exactly. <laughs> in my career. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, there should be an option at least to take financial literacy in, in high school or, you know, how to mm-hmm. use properly use social media or, you know, just like a lot of things I think that could be classes um, that could really set people mm-hmm. up for, for success in their future. But, you know, look at the, look, first and foremost, look at who is the head of our education system. Betty DeVos, <laughs> like the biggest idiot. Right. <laughs> dumbass idiot that we could have and it's like oh now we wonder why we need you there girl yeah. we need you there and then we wonder why the education system is, is messed up it's like yeah look who's heading it mm-hmm. woman doesn't even know the, mm-hmm. the first thing about education let alone public education right so that's a whole other yeah situation it's a whole thing yeah so anyways from there <laughs> i went on a huge tangent <laughs> um i ended up working at an education tech startup where I was the uh, head of student engagement and marketing. And that was it's called Duet. And what they do is they offer uh, flexible online degree programs to low-income uh, adults across mm. the area. So that was really cool. I was doing work there. Um, and then from there, I was there for a bit. I got laid off. Shit happens. That's life. Uh, and then I ended up at a, a, a hyper growth startup called Drift, which does AI and automation. Um, oh, girl, you were all tech. Yeah, all types of tech. And I was there and I was a <laughs> customer success, but I also headed their diversity and inclusion efforts. And I told them I want to join and I want to be able to help with that as well as part of my role. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that startup's actually a Latino founded startup. Both the CEO and CTO are Latino men. And that was a big mm-hmm. reason why I joined because I really wanted to work for a company that was founded by people of color and that was in tech. That's you know what I love about, about this, this career journey of yours? Yeah. I'm going to take a quick pause because yeah. I want to point this out to you. Sure. It wasn't about like the role itself, right? Like what the title was or anything like no. that. It was about the space yes. and the why, mm-hmm. who were the founders? Like, there's a lot of things that I'm picking up where I'm like, oh, this girl really led with, she really knew what she wanted. Yeah. Well, I thought I in did. In each role. <laughs> I 
thought. You're like, well, I thought. I, I thought so. I didn't do the, the cover. And that's one thing I do want to want to mention. Like, I did go for mission, right? Mission and values. Um, but driven, yeah. But I didn't. But I didn't do. And this is something that I, you know, I know I didn't do, and I'll admit it. I didn't do the enough research. So one thing I recommend mm-hmm. to all job seekers out there, especially job seekers who are looking for safe spaces and places where they actually care about diversity and inclusion, and it's not just a pretty picture on a website with some black people looking happy. So for people who actually want to be in a place that values diversity and cares about diversity, you need to talk to people that work there. You need to reach out to yeah. people that work there and really ask them about their experience because the website's always going to make it look good. The website's always going to make a place oh. look like it's an awesome place to work and that black and brown people are happy. Um, oh my God. I just <laughs> saw uh, like a picture the other day on, on LinkedIn that was like this this guy, this like person of color, just like annoyed, like rolling his eyes. And they're like, when the recruiter lies to you yeah, <laughs> and says the workplace is great, but it secretly is like the worst. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's happened to so many of my friends too, right? Like they get poached by a recruiter and they're like, oh my God, this seems like the perfect job for me, the perfect company. Even though I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I've never heard of them. And they go in and they're like, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst. exactly. So that's that's the thing. It's, it's you know, because what ends up happening and people are like, oh, well, that's a lot of work. Oh my God. Like what if people don't respond? I'm like, well then keep trying for someone else until they respond. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like, yes, it's more work. Yes. More research takes more time, but what's going to end up happening if you don't do that work is you're going to end up somewhere. You're going to hate it. And you're going to be on the job search again next mm-hmm. year. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, put in the work up. And what do they say? They're like <laughs> looking for a job is a job. Looking in itself. A job is a job. And I say that all the time in my career mm-hmm. classes that I lead right now. So Essentially, Drift was a was not a good fit for me. Basically, I didn't do the mm-hmm. proper the proper research, and it was not a good culture fit for me. It was really um, very much a, a bro frat young culture that I was like, yeah, nah. So I actually ended up getting fired. I got fired for not being a culture fit, which I found very funny, but. Because <laughs> you're not a bro. That's just a nice way of saying we don't like your energy here. <laughs> you don't fit in with our bro culture. Right. And I was like, all right, cool. I don't. So thanks for doing me that favor. So I left and then um and then I met Joshua. I met Joshua in that transition time. He was working at Simply Business in Boston. And we met up for coffee. I think someone introduced us. You know, that's the thing about that's the thing about when you follow your passion and you follow what really what motivates you is and when you put it out there is that the energy mm-hmm. you put out there is the energy you'll receive right so oh yeah whatever sure. content you put out there if you're consistently putting it out there like people will start reaching out to you people will start coming mm-hmm. to you for different things for these kind of things um so that's really what happened like someone connected right. me and joshua we met up for coffee i think lunch um, I was complaining about how much, you know, I hated corporate culture, about that I really was like upset. I really wanted to diversify the tech industry, that I had a passion for professional development and helping and training people. And all this must have clicked in his head. And he was like, well, you should come work it out, Co. And that's how it started, right? That's really how it started. I started as a career coach, which I've found is my passion. And I love helping people with their career journeys and really finding their mission and finding a job or a career that will align with their mission. Because if you are aligned in the vision, vision, mission, 
vision, mission, and values at a company or in a mm-hmm. role that you're in, you are going to feel much more fulfilled. And if you feel much more fulfilled, you are going to be much more productive. And you're much more productive. Oh, you're yeah. going to do way better. Snaps to that. Exactly. So, and if you're much more productive, that's going to carry on into your, your personal life too, right? If you're happy in the workplace, mm-hmm. you're going to be happy outside of the workplace. But if you're miserable in the workplace, Girl, like just think about it, right? We spend so much of our time at work. Yeah. And if it's not a vibe, if it's if it's like you're totally unhappy in your job, then yeah, it's gonna spill over into your personal life. As much as like people try to say, no, work life is so different, you know, like I know how to separate it. Like maybe I've never learned that skill, but no. Yeah. (laughs) Like your life and work really does bleed together. Oh my God. I mean, you can try as much as you can to separate, but at the end of the day, you spend your majority of your day at work. So like if you had a trash day at work and if you're always constantly on eggshells and feeling anxious and just always feeling like your job's on the line, like that's going to carry on into your personal life, whether you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's, where my coaching comes in is I, I really want to help people with their job search, being intentional on the job search um, because you don't want to just apply. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people just apply to a million different places and it's like, okay, you're spending all this time filling out applications for jobs that you don't even know if you'll like. <laughs> you don't even know if you're going to like work. Right. And you're just like, eh, F it. It's a cool title. I'm just going to apply. And it's like, okay, but do you even know what the management style is like? Do you even know if people of color or whatever are even mm-hmm. like at the table, right? Is that, you know, what's important mm-hmm. to you? Cause everybody has different vision mission, right? Everybody has different values. Yeah. So one thing that I always tell people, cause I, I help a lot of college students with just, you know, like the basic stuff and like getting your resume or LinkedIn and like how to, those really basic like job hunting skills. And I always <laughs> compare it to dating. Yeah. I'm like, listen, you're going to spend a lot of time at work. Like you really want to choose the right one. <laughs> yeah. You know, people think work is just this thing that you do for money and it's like yeah it is a thing that you do for money but don't you, wouldn't you feel so much better about yourself if it was something that fulfilled you right and yeah. it has to be yeah obviously everybody wants money everybody wants to make an income but also also like at what cost right because I've worked at places that I was making a lot of money and I was happy because they gave me the offer I wanted but I was miserable right I was miserable yeah. and wanted to mm-hmm. like kill myself all the time and I just like did not want to be there mm-hmm. and every morning I remember feeling this sense of dread of like god damn it I have to go into the office like no one wants to feel that way <laughs> that's how you know it's not yeah it's not the vibe <laughs> exactly so that's why I tell people I'm like it's a, the job search is, is a, a job it is a job it's not an easy peasy oh I'm just gonna find it really no it is it's a job and it's a it's a marathon it's not a sprint right that too it's not mm-hmm. it's not a oh if I do this all at once I'm gonna get all the benefits now it's like no like what my biggest my number one suggestion for any job seeker out there is to build your network because it is not mm-hmm. about what you know I will tell you that right now I mean look who the hell our president is <laughs> it is who you know okay so for yeah. anyone who looks at a job description and they're like oh well, I don't have you know it's asking me for five plus years of blah, 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 and I only have three I don't think I can apply look at our president okay <laughs> if this idiot can run a country with no experience in politics or policy yeah. he doesn't even have his master's yeah. degree I don't even think this idiot has a master's degree if this person can run an entire country you can do the job that you only have three years experience for okay <laughs> yeah we'll stop 
and didn't Kanye want to apply to yeah, be president okay, too? Exactly. I'm like, look, and listen. It up it's like, really, people? Like, it doesn't matter. So it's all about yeah. who you know. And I say this in all of my classes. Your network is your net worth. So I have now been with Elko almost a year, actually going on a year in October, which is crazy. Um, I absolutely Congrats. love. Thank you. I love working there. It is the most inclusive environment and space that I have ever been a part of. It feels like a family. It, it We really value diverse thoughts and perspectives. And we're not just saying it to, to be cute, but we actually enforce it in, in what we do. To be cute. Yeah, we're not saying it just to have a facade on a website. Um, we actually care about the well-being of all of our employees. We talk about current mm-hmm. events and what's happening. We do work in the community. We partner with Hack the Hood, which is an organization that helps low-income students with tech in the Bay Area. Yeah, we do work with them. We've done, you know, we've fundraised for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Like we've done different things. Wow. Well, I've met three of you guys and you guys are the best. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I met you, Catalina and Joshua. And I'm like, yeah, we're all about diversifying tech, the three, <laughs> the three of us for sure. But for me, it's just been an amazing experience to feel uh, that you are appreciated somewhere and that you mm-hmm. your suggestions and input are actually taken into consideration and that you can actually have conversations that are in terms of feedback or if there's things that could go better like you can have those conversations and not be afraid that you're going to get fired or that you're going to mm-hmm. look at in a certain way because I do think a lot of other companies especially in corporate it's a lot of red tape a lot of bureaucracy people's opinions are not taken into consideration it's a lot of way too much yeah it's a lot of like yeah 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 sure 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 uh-huh, uh-huh, cool nothing happens <laughs> um and then people just don't feel heard and they don't feel valued and they don't feel mm-hmm. like what they say matters um and that's really important because people want to feel like they matter right people want to feel like where they what they say is going to take into consideration going to be taken into consideration and that leadership is looking out for them yeah. Oh, so important. Well, I think that's a great note to end yeah. on, you know, is, you know, really following again, one thing I love about your whole career journey is you were very purpose driven. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about the titles. It wasn't about this, at least from like what I heard today. I was like, wow, she's, she was very adamant about following this mission and being able to you know, fill your cup and not so much what, what's the title of the role. And like, (laughs) like, I only want to do this. You were very mission driven, which I think is really powerful and inspiring to a lot of people. Yep. Thank you so much. Well, one last thing that we do on, on the show, it's my favorite. It's a closing with the green beans. And of course, again, it's our version, but closing with the virtual cheers and manifesting some good for our, our Latino community. So what do you want to manifest and cheers to? So I want to cheers to the Latino community for being resilient, for their resilience and their continued resilience. Mm -hmm. Because right now, all the craziness that's happening in our our government, all the injustices that are happening to our communities with ICE and all these detention centers and the bullshit that they're pulling, um, I know mm-hmm. that we have to come together as a people and we have to stop separating ourselves. We have to stop. That's what they want us to do. So we need to stop. We need to all come together mm-hmm. because whether you're black, whether you're Latino, whether you're Asian, whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, you are all being oppressed. 
we are all being systemically mm -hmm. oppressed, maybe not in the same level, but we're all still facing systems of oppression. And so instead of separating ourselves and saying something's a black issue or something's a Latino issue or something's an Asian issue, we need to all come together and realize this is a collective issue. So mm -hmm. I would say for me, my brindis is to continue the fight, vote, and not just <laughs> on a national level, but local elections are so important, if not more important, because these are the people, mm -hmm. your mayors, your state representatives, your all those people are the people that are going to be making the policies in your communities. So yeah. the importance of voting, I think, is going to be my bidding these. Um, we have to get Trump out, everybody, like straight up. Girl, we, <laughs> we have to. We need to go. Can't deal with four no. more years of hell this, but no. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hell no. Hell no. Cheers, salud. Salud. Gracias, Thank you for coming. Thank you very much, <laughs>